Okay, let's talk about being Baptist. No, first let's pray about being Baptist. Lord, we thank you for this cold and rainy day, and we thank you that you are with us today, uh, and, and that you not only will never leave us, but Lord, when we are two or more gathered in your name, you are here also, and that we know that in your Holy Spirit, you're teaching us and opening our hearts and revealing to us all truth from the scriptures. Lord, we pray that we would be uh, receptive to that as we began a study of uh, the foundational documents of, of our, our Baptist tradition, Lord, that we would see the, the scriptural basis, that we would, like the Bereans, ask the questions, uh, are, are these things so in the scriptures as well? And that, Lord, we wouldn't simply swallow what has been taught us because it's been taught us, uh, but, Lord, that we would uh, use these things as an opportunity to dig deeper into your word. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. My wife is out of town and both my shoes are untied. And those things are related. So, I'm a little out of sorts. Let me see if one of these works. Mediocre. Now, it was, that's indicative of the hurry I was in this morning with Calvin and stuff. I know how to do it. I'm pretty sure, I'm 90%. I know how to do it. All right, this one's the best, I guess. Everyone today forgot something? Yeah, I forgot them. What'd you forget? My necklace. Your necklace. Oh, Come on. Betty, next time, I want to see that necklace on you. I forgot to tell Bill to turn the heat on. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> Let's, we'll get a lot of hot air going in here. And then we'll be, uh, then we'll be warmer. Okay, so... I want to just start with the, the elephant in the room when we say we're going to talk about a uh, Baptist catechism. I often hear, when I, when I speak in these terms, objections like, wait a minute, catechism? Isn't that fill in the blank? Catholic? See, or Lutheran? Or what, what, any, anything but Baptist? Now, the thing is, if you came out of the Catholic Church and converted to another branch of Christianity, everything seems Catholic to you. I once was wearing a cross necklace, and uh, Sean's wife was like, Oh, you look Catholic today. And I was like, I didn't know they had a, <laughs> know they had a, a corner on the market there. But uh, the, the notion that, that it's a non-Baptist thing, I think, really comes from the fact that many people who are Baptist today and... Say my parents' generation, people born in the 40s and 50s, their parents' generation, literally going back to the late 19th century, didn't have any kind of catechism growing up. May not even know what a catechism is. Maybe waiting for me now to tell you what a catechism is, but uh, we'll get there. Um, but first, we have to acknowledge that many people, even many Baptist ministers, even many major Baptist Authors and, and figures over the past couple centuries have claimed that as Baptists we are non-creedal people. And that's not an error. There's only one E in creedal, even though there's two in creed. It's weird. <clears throat> Meaning that we don't hold to these statements, these pithy, short, bullet point statements that describe what the faith is. And that we also certainly don't hold these long and bloviating explanations of what we have to believe as Christians that are called confessions. That we, we only hold the Bible. 
So we might say, what is your creed? And very smugly, a Baptist from the kind of second great awakening tradition would hold up their Bible and say, this is my creed. Okay, Bible alone. No creed but the Bible. I hear that often. I had a pastor at one point when I was in seminary who would say that occasionally. We have no creed but the Bible. Uh, and I love the Bible. It's God's inerrant, perfect, holy word. All of it is, is living and active and useful for teaching and rebuking and training in all righteousness. But it's a terrible creed. Because who here has memorized it? Right? Yeah, no, I haven't either. Um, and, and what's funny to me is that the phrase, no creed but the Bible, or the phrase, no creed but Christ, is itself a creed. <laughs> Again, just a bad one. That one's too short. Um, almost anybody in a religion under the broad umbrella of Christian, including many cults and other weird sects, could say, oh yeah, no creed but Christ. Right. Or no creed but the Bible. Yeah, but what do you mean by that? What, what does the Bible teach? What's the message of the Bible? Uh, and, and so we want to get back, I think, to a place where as Baptists we recognize historically the position of creeds and confessions and catechisms uh, in the church. And the proper place. And I think as Baptists, we have probably one of the best, most solid foundations to build on when it comes to the way in which we look at these documents. So when we say a creed, what do we mean? Where's, what's the word creed come from? From the Latin word credo, which means? Anyone? Bula. Means I believe. So, like the beginning of every creed would be the word credo, which is why they call them creed. Uh, I believe dot dot dot. So it's a statement of what I believe or we believe. That as a group we together affirm these things. What's probably the most famous creed in the Christian Church? That's up there. I think more people are familiar with. The Apostles' Creed. I know a lot of people who could, if I started rattling off the Apostles' Creed, could probably fill in a lot of it, even if they haven't been to church since they were wee little rugrats. Just because of hearing, and that's of course the point. They've heard it so many times, it's kind of impressed itself on their souls, and they know it. Um, and, and so when we talk about creeds, we're talking about something ancient in almost every case. Um, and we're talking about something broader. It's not going to get into the weeds. A, a creed is not going to get into uh, secondary issues. It's not going to talk about the role of tongues in the church. It's not going to talk about uh, even probably predestination or you know, any of the other issues that are important and should be discussed. But they're not the center, the core of the Christian faith. And what's more, they're not things that were being contended over during that early period in which most of the creeds were formulated. Uh, and recognize that creeds generally came out of heresy. So, I mean, people sometimes look down on Richard because he's a heretic, but heretics serve a purpose 
because throughout history, in correcting heresies, these statements that came out of these church councils, hey, maybe we had one more C, council. Um, these statements that come out of the church councils condemning these things are usually formulated in a positive way, and they become the creeds. And so we have these statements of, I believe. You could commit it to memory in most cases. I don't know many people who have the uh, Athanasian Creed memorized. I don't. But in most, most cases, you can commit it to memory. You know, in a nutshell, what my belief system teaches. Uh, and so these are very, I'd say the basic beliefs of the church that have been handed down from the earliest times. This is what Jude, in his letter in the New Testament, calls the faith once for all handed down to the saints, right? So if you get even a very uh, diverse group of Christians in a room, uh, if you had a Roman Catholic and a fundamentalist Baptist and, you know, a, a old school Lutheran and they walk into a bar, um, that would never happen, I guess, because the fundamentalists wouldn't go in. But if they did... And they were talking, and it really wasn't a joke. They were, they were really having a conversation. They, they could all agree that the, the Christian faith contains these important elements, these vital elements. Uh, and to reject a creed in order to be non-creedal, in order to say, oh, no, 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 we, we, we just believe the Bible, is to say, I'm going to reinvent the wheel, and I'm probably going to do it badly. And we see that happening every time someone makes a website for their church without acknowledging any of the uh, historic Christian creeds or confessions. Uh, they, these encapsulate what was called the rule of faith, which was kind of an unwritten set of beliefs uh, that from the time of the apostles was always handed down. And, and, you know, one of the reasons that we get such a reaction against creeds and confessions and as a result catechisms and Baptist and free church tradition, I think, is because they're all part of tradition, right? And Jesus had an awful lot to say about the traditions of men supplanting the word of God. And when we get to the Protestant Reformation, traditions of sticking point, right? Luther says, no, 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 none of these popes and councils, they err often and contradict each other. Scripture and plain reason, or it didn't happen, right? And so it's kind of almost bred into us as Protestants and as evangelicals that we want to eschew tradition, and yet Scripture speaks continually of tradition in a positive way. It's just your modern translation, and often even the King James, will translate it differently. The word paradidomi or paradosis, meaning to hand down or that which is handed down, when it's negative, it's often translated traditions, and when it's in a positive light, it's often just awkwardly translated the things handed down. But they're all traditions. Traditions can be good. I mean, that's how you, how do you know that the Bible alone is the final authority for life and doctrine? Well, someone taught you. It was handed down. And you learned it and you tried it out and found that it, it worked. So tradition itself, yes, as, as Baptists, as, as evangelicals, we are a little leery when someone says, no, 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 this is just how it's always been. This is how it was passed down. We say lots of stuff was passed down that isn't exactly biblical, but we don't want to throw the baby out with the, you know, the baptismal water. We want to keep that which is good and just say instead of openly accepting these things, we'll make sure they comport with Scripture and then we'll affirm them. And that, 
broadly puts us into the family of Christians that as Baptists, we have historically always believed is a wide tent. I don't have time to go into the whole history of the Baptist movement, but I've taught that class lots of times. Most of you have been in it. And it surprises people often to learn that Baptists were not, from the beginning, those people who were like, we're the only ones who are saved and all those other people are going to hell. Rather, we were the opposite. Religious toleration was the primary identifying attribute of Baptists. That we said, no, 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 we'll, we'll be on the corner here, and then you've got your Congregationalists, and you've got your Anglicans, and you've got your Puritan Separatists, and then over here you've got your... And we're going to debate because we believe we're right about these secondary things, but we understand that the family of God is wide and broad and vast, and we don't want to be taking shots at each other. So the creeds are something that, as Baptists, we should celebrate because they tie us together to a broader community of faith. Anytime you have anything you want to say or ask or any accusations you want to make, formally or informally, just jump in. Um, Creeds are... The the Apostles' Creed starts as a baptismal creed. So they're functional to start with. You, You were about to baptize a new convert and you would walk them through this baptismal creed. It's super old. It wasn't written by the Apostles, probably, but it contains the, the seed of the Apostles' teaching. And it's, it's so old that we can't quite say how long after the Apostles' deaths it, it began to take the form that it is today. Uh, but it would be, how do you affirm that you are one of us? Not a Gnostic offshoot of Christianity, not one of the Judaizers, not an Arian heretic that teaches that Christ is the highest created being. No, but one of us, a Christian. Well, you could say, do you believe the whole Bible? But a Mormon can say yes. Uh, Jehovah's Witness can say yes. Uh, Branch Davidian could probably have said yes. I mean, you, you believe it insofar as you understand it to be true. But we want to know if you're with us, a Christian. And so it, you take them through the Trinity. You take them through the vicarious death of Christ and his resurrection and his ascension and his second coming, his virgin birth putting him in time, both the Nicene and the Apostles' Creed, in time, in the timeline that we're living in, right? Pontius Pilate was the guy under whom he suffered. Now we're going, oh, this is not just one of these religions that's about some weird ethereal mystery and I've got to solve it like a Rubik's Cube. No, this is rooted in facts and and it could actually be falsified if someone could say, no, I saw him dead 40 days after. I saw the body. So it... it it's all kind of an almost Russian nesting doll situation where inside this thing you can begin to tease out a lot of doctrine, but it's very concise and children can learn it. It's a, a wonderful tool. Uh, we have then the Nicene Creed, of course, or what we call the Nicene Creed is actually the Niceno Constantinopolitan Creed, but no one's going to say that, so we just say Nicene Creed. Um, and it's similarly about that core of Christianity. This time, though, we're dealing with the the heresies of Arius at at the Council of Nicaea, the the false teaching that Jesus is not God in the flesh, but a created being. And so it emphasizes that. And then you have, uh, good grief, Chalcedon, uh, Athanasian Creed. You You have a number of these things that all dealing with the major heresy of the day, refuting them, but coming at it from a positive, we affirm these things, we believe these things. And together, they kind of form the core of what will become Christian orthodoxy. Then along comes 
1,700 years later, some Baptist who says, oh, no, I don't need any of that stuff. And I say, well, what do you believe? And they articulate exactly that stuff. Well, why? Because it was handed down. You, you were taught the right way to read the scriptures. We're just trying to do it without the benefit of, you know, I'm pretending I invented the wheel, which is safer than reinventing the wheel, but also makes you look stupid. It's like, remember when Romeo and Michelle pretended they invented post-its? No, none of you have seen Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion. Well, they went there 10 years later and pretended they invented post-its. And everyone was like, we know you didn't because A, you're stupid and B, Art Fry did. And, uh, you, you know, it jigs up. Well, in the same way, I invented the wheel. No, you didn't. You didn't. This faith that was once for all handed down has been here before you, and it was handed down. And as Baptists, we've never said we need to, you know, there, there is a strand of Baptists that say this, but it's never been a, a distinctive of ours, historically, that we need to just go to the Bible and, and do all the work ourselves. There's the whole trust and verify approach that Baptists take. Um, and I'll tell you, when you, when you talk about, say, for example, Macbeth, not the play by Shakespeare, but one of the most famous Baptist historians, when he talks in terms of, you could remove every Christian from the world today and leave an open Bible, and tomorrow there would be Baptists. That's absurd and embarrassing. Tomorrow there would be, I mean, the Holy Spirit will eventually lead people into Orthodox Christianity, we believe, but tomorrow, there's probably going to be seven different offshoots that are all schismatic and, and rooted in the, the flesh and, and my own merit and this sort of thing. And so creeds are, they're not dogmas that are imposed on Scripture. They are themselves drawn from the Bible. They provide, um, I think Michael Horton coined the phrase, faithful summaries. These are faithful summaries of Scripture. And so when you bring somebody up uh, at a, what do you call, uh, ordination council, to ask them, you know, about their doctrine. You don't walk them through every verse of the Bible. You walk them through these basic things. Uh, although, in most ordination councils I'm at, people will ask about any number of weird things about, what do you feel about uh, church growth practices and never even mention justification? And you're like, well, okay, you could be a heretic, but I see that you know what you think about church growth practices. But creeds, then, are something that everyone, to some degree, embraces. If you don't say we, we hold to the Apostles' Creed at our church and the Nicene Creed, click on the What We Believe section of this church's website, and you will find a do-it-yourself creed uh, that looks about like uh, a seven-year-old who's just learning piano saying, you know what, I don't want to learn Mozart, I'm going to make up my own. Uh, it's just, it's not quite there and and there's always cracks and there's always stuff missing and there's always extra weird stuff that they were thinking about at the moment that they included and sometimes they take the form of creeds these very basic things sometimes you click what we believe and it takes the form of a confession so what's the difference between a creed and a confession who can articulate that all right a confession a it's going to be longer uh B, it's probably going to be later in, in history. And C, it's got a different function. So the, the creeds, these ecumenical creeds that we hold together as Christians, if you don't believe these things, I'll just say this right now. If you don't believe them, you're not a Christian. Call, you're, you're allowed to not believe them. You're allowed to believe different stuff, but don't call yourself a Christian. Come up with some other name. There's all sorts of things you could call yourself. Those are the core of Christianity. 
Um, when Cyprian said, outside of the church, there is no salvation, he wasn't saying what the Roman Catholics later tried to make of it. Outside of our institutional hierarchy, there's no salvation. You say, no, outside of the, the visible church and the church that holds to these things. In fact, we have creeds that begin with, this is the Catholic faith, meaning the universal faith. Let's describe it. Outside of that, there's no salvation because these are the doctrines by which we understand uh, Christ's death for us and his resurrection and by grace through faith, our salvation. And, and so those are, you got to believe them or you're not a Christian. And you, you might, you know, read through them and say, wait a minute, I find one point here that's, that's kind of tertiary enough where someone could say, I don't know about that and they're still a believer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you reject them, you're rejecting Christianity. Confessions, on the other hand, all of us reject a bunch of them. By virtue of accepting one, you're rejecting it because they get into the details. They're not a prescription, this is what a Christian must believe. We won't baptize you if you don't. No, they now say we're describing what a group of people together confess as their faith. In fact, confess, the word confess in English and in the Greek uh, means uh, homo legeo in the Greek means homo, the same, legeo, to speak, to, to speak the same, to agree. Confess, with, to say, right? We're saying, together with this group, we confess, we agree, this is our doctrine. And so it's not prescriptive, it's descriptive. And even though they, there would be amongst anybody who is confessional, hopefully, an understanding that these things are rooted in the scriptures, we're not going to say if you reject this document, you're rejecting the scriptures. At least let's hope not. There are some people I know who would say, if you don't fall in line with my Westminster Confession of Faith, you're not a believer, but that's not the, the broad understanding of it. So it's a more detailed sketch. It, it, we might put it in terms of denominational distinctives, although when they first started coming around, there were no denominations. There were different traditions. And uh, these confessions describe what is believed. And, and out of the Protestant Reformation, you've got to remember, you have groups popping up left and right, and all of them want to articulate what their beliefs are. Some of these confessions came out of necessity. Remember when we watched the Luther movie? This is on the internet. We didn't really watch it uh, publicly. It was a private group in a, in a house of worship. But uh, you remember that they were afraid they were going to actually be uh, snuffed out by the ecclesial powers that be because they, in their beliefs were heretical and they said but what if we just wrote out what we believe and showed it to the holy roman emperor who was neither holy nor roman nor an emperor he would see that it is christian and he would he would let us and so they they came up with the formula of concord we have the whole book of concord the um the confession the augsburg confession uh and so these things came out of necessity sometimes sometimes they just came out of a desire to kind of hash out what we believe about everything um, and confessions, there are many, many of them. Uh, some that you've probably heard of, the Formula of Concord is, is from uh, uh, the Lutheran tradition, 1577. The Belgic Confession, uh, 1561, the Reformed tradition. Uh, you have the 25 Articles of Religion, which is the Methodist Confession from 1784. The 39 Articles, so the Methodists way outdid the Anglicans. But the Anglicans was earlier, 1563. By the way, the Episcopal Church doesn't hold to them anymore. I wish they did because they're spectacular. Um, the Westminster Confession of Faith, 1646. That's a Presbyterian uh, confession. And then the 
close cousin to the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Second London Baptist Confession, which was written in 1677 and signed in 1689 when signing it wouldn't get your head removed from your body, uh, which is basically what we're going to be studying in our catechism. Uh, these, these are all guides, and they're used in two important ways. They form the basis for catechesis, or teaching of the faith, and they provide a doctrinal standard by which congregations teach then. So you don't have uh, kind of this, Brother Bob says this, Brother John says this, and nobody knows what the world will believe. People have said, together we confess these things. These are the things that we believe. Um, let's move right on to catechisms then, since this is going to be, I don't know if anyone told you on the way in, this is going to be a class on catechism. The, the Baptist Catechism, which actually is called the Puritan's Catechism. Uh, it was compiled by Charles Spurgeon, a Baptist. So, I don't know. He had a thing for Puritans. Everybody's got their stuff. Um, but if, if creeds are the church's maybe kind of bones... And confessions are sort of the denominations and muscles, then I would say the catechisms are kind of the feet. They, they bring these things into uh, real life, right? The, the practical on the ground application of the teaching. And there's a lot of why in it. So people have given catechisms a real bad rap because a catechism takes the form of question one, da -da 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 -da. answer one, da -da 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 -da. Uh, and they, well, wait a minute, you're just telling me what to think. Shouldn't I, and we, we have a very modern, very American notion of what it means to learn, shouldn't we ask the question and then just kind of open-endedly talk it out and all land wherever we land? Why are you giving me the answer? That's so bounded set thinking. And generally, every catechism is going to take the confessions including the scriptural references, the proof texts that are included, and incorporate those into the answer. So basically it's a way to teach children or new converts a confession. So it's much easier for me to say, you remember this question and you to give me the answer than for you to memorize a document that's 85 pages long. Um, and when I've taught the catechism, I've taught it many times now, I've had people with master's degrees say this is a little hard it's a little it's a little on the weeds and i go remember it was formulated to teach illiterate children uh so they could memorize this granted part of what's hard is the archaic language which for them wasn't archaic yet um but it's it's a way to teach children who can't sit down and read the bible or even sit down and read the confession they can lock away the basics of the, and, and let's hope that any good confession is going to front load and emphasize the core stuff and, and then give the secondary issues and the disputable stuff a, a backseat to the, the core. Um, there are a number of Baptist catechisms, even though people think of us as not having catechisms. And there are many, many Baptist confessions. I, I want to just read this list to you, even though it might get a little pedantic, because I have a great point to make. And that is that Baptists are historically confessional people. This is not some new, weird fad, even though it currently, thank God, is sort of a fad that people are going back to these documents. Uh, in 1611, the General Baptist Thomas Helwes, amazing guy, wrote the Declaration of Faith. 1611, same year as... Come on, guys. 
sad pastor. The King James Bible, 1611. 1644, the first London... By the way, King James, who left Thomas Helwes to, and, and John Smith to die in prison. Um, 1644, uh, the first London Baptist Confession. It was revised in 1646, the same year as the Westminster Confession of Faith. 1651, the faith and practice of 30 congregations. That means 30 groups of Baptists got together and said, rather than say, we're Baptists, we all do our own thing. Woo! They said, let's say what we can affirm together. 30 congregations... Who ever heard of 30 Baptist congregations agreeing on something? 1654, the true gospel faith declared according to the scriptures. That's the name of the confession. 1655, the Midland Confession of Faith, done uh, at the headquarters of Dow Chemical. 16, I just came up with that now. That was funny. Wasn't it? 1660, the Standard Confession. 1678, the Orthodox Creed. 1689, the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, which was originally written in 1677. 1691, a shorter confession of a brief narrative of faith. We want something a little more punchy that we could put, you know, on the back of a card. 1700s. 1742, the Philadelphia Confession, which is a kind of variation on the London. 1738, the Coal Heavers Confession. How cool of a name is that? Wait, they get cooler. 1757, Carter Lane Declaration of Faith. 1758, the Sandy Creek Confession, 1770, Articles of Religion of the New Connection. Connection with an X. Yes, that's super cool. 1792, this takes the cake, the Goatyard Declaration of Faith. Into the 1800s, 1812, the former Articles. 1833, the New Hampshire Confession of Faith. Again, that's a variation on the, the London, and it's super good. 1834, a treatise of the faith of the Free Will Baptists. 1858, the Abstract of Principles. 1866, a compendium of Christian doctrines held by Baptists. In 1878, the Articles of Faith of the Gospel Poor Relief Societies. So you have now a mission agency saying, we need to have a confession so that when we bring in missionaries to do the work of helping people in their material needs and also teaching them the faith, we know they're all kind of teaching the same thing. In fact, that's kind of as Baptists, what always has brought us together into associations or denominations is missionaries. That's why we're American Baptists, not Southern Baptists. Because at one point we said, not so sure about sending out missionaries who own slaves. That seems messed up. And they were like, well, we're doing it. And we said, okay, and we split. And we created then a different association, the American Baptist, or the Northern Baptist Convention at the time, and had a different set of requirements. Although at the time, the same doctrinal statement. Um, today, I don't know if an American Baptist... Uh, missionary is required to sign on the line for a, a, a confessional statement. It's certainly not any of those that I just read, um, but I hope so. I, I certainly hope we do take care to to represent ourselves in, uh, in the mission field um, as as unified and as and as orthodox as we can be. So the notion of confessions being foreign to Baptists, I hope I've debunked. The notion that we don't hold to creeds and book learning, it's kind of more a caricature of Baptists by non-Baptists than it is a historical reality. And it's one that we need to overturn and refute. Um, and, you know, I know for a fact that this church has had a pastor who was very much bang the drum, non-creedal. And that when we started affirming the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed on uh, Communion Sundays, that a number of older members said, oh yeah, we used to do this every week. So, you know, you find a mix in the, in the Baptist world. Uh, but 
I think that we're in a good moment right now where people are seeing the value of these things and, and saying, why would I start over and say, oh, here's what we believe, and I'm just pulling things out. I, I came up, I remember, me and Tom Kies, whose uh, parents go to, doesn't matter, but now I'm trying to remember, Valley Farms, one of the ABC churches in the area. He lived in Grand Rapids. He was going to Cornerstone, so was I. We were tasked with putting together the beliefs of the church for uh, our profile. I was going to go out to, we were looking for a pastor. It was going to go out. And we sat there and just banged it out. He had a laptop and I was spitballing. And we were like, How, yeah, okay, this, yeah, okay, put that verse. We came up with it in an hour and a half. Well, wait a minute. There are people who took weeks and weeks with many divines present and prayed over it and slaved over it. And it stood the test of centuries. Um, could have just said we hold to this document. Uh, and there are even many modern confessions that have come out within the past 30 or 40 years that are also very solid and very good. There's no reason for everyone to prove they're a rogue. I'm a Baptist and, you know, watch out for me by spinning off confessions like a freestyle rapper left and right w without any sense of history. Yeah. So how different from each other were all these confessions? I mean, were they just... <coughs> Not different at all. It seems like... It seems silly to keep making confession after confession if there's like not much difference between them. Mm -hmm. Why do they feel the need to do that? Well, there, there are a few reasons. It, it all comes back to what is the purpose of a given confession. The Philadelphia Confession of Faith was uh, a sort of compromise where a group of, of churches said, we want to form an association, the Philadelphia Baptist Association, and we want to hold to this set of doctrines that we find in the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. And some said, we're not so sure about the Pope being the Antichrist. Maybe, okay, well, maybe we could leave that out. And someone else, well, let's leave a little room for this church over here that, that teach, and, and very minor things. And so they said, we will make a new, using that as our basis, we'll make a new confession and call it the Philadelphia Confession of Faith. Now that wasn't the case with all of them. The reason that there's a second London Baptist Confession, which we're going to be working with, is because the first London Baptist Confession of Faith was a first try. It wasn't awesome. Uh, yeah, the Christology is weak. It's not, it's not great. But they were you know, a fledgling movement, and they were just trying, you know, it's like a horse trying to stand up for the first time. It's a great thing to study, but I wouldn't ever subscribe to it. Um, so that part of that is just continually refining and part of it is maybe if it's a mission board or a charitable organization, maybe there's funding from churches that are like, no dancing. And so they put that in. And that's not the case with any of these. But I'm saying like, I'm, this is a broad example. Maybe, maybe there's something very specific put into it uh, for, a certain for a purpose in a moment in time. Not all of those that I read were meant to be uh, standards that would be held to centuries later. The, most of them were... Uh, variations on stuff that came before with a very particular purpose. But, but I mean, why keep writing them today? I, I, who, who knows of a catechism or, or confession that was written in the last 50 years? Just trying to engage you, Alex. I know you do. Well, the, the Southern Baptists, right, signed the, the 2000. In, in 2000, they signed a confession of faith. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's spectacular. And they've been looking at maybe producing a new one. 
because of the struggles between the traditionalists and the new Calvinistic movement. Mm -hmm. They've been looking at trying to maybe get together and sign a new one. So there's two reasons built into that. One is, it was 2000, and when people read the uh, 1689 language, they go, well, huh? Uh, you can either just update that, which people have done, or you say, well, let's try and say the same sort of things in a way that engages people today and they understand. And the second is, there's a particular situation in our group, and we need to keep the unity. And what's going on in the Southern Baptists, the, the traditionalists, which are less traditionalist than their opponents, but they're called the traditionalists, are Arminian, uh, meaning they, they emphasize human free will uh, and elbow grease as the means of grace. And... Uh, the new Calvinist movement, uh, including most of the leadership now, the Southern Baptists, uh, emphasize God's sovereignty in salvation. And there's been <clears throat> growing space between and, and tension. So um, it's good that they're trying to write. You know, think about, here's an example of, of that same sort of thing historically. Uh, think about the Book of Common Prayer. It's not a confession. It's a worship manual. But the idea was, <clears throat> in England... We're killing each other. We're going back and forth between we're super Catholic. No, we're super Church of England Protestant. And people are getting banished and then coming back and having great power and like time for revenge. And Elizabeth said, you know, it'd be a good idea. If we could all just worship together and the language allowed for you to understand these things in a Roman Catholic way, transubstantiation, you to understand these things in a more evangelical or... or or Anglican way, and everyone could together. So it becomes kind of a unifying document. That could be behind some of them as well. Maybe someone was just like, wouldn't it be cool if we had a document called the Goat Yard Confession? <laughs> and then they tried to go about figuring out how to make that happen. I don't, I don't know. Um, it's, my, my point is that uh, this stuff has always been our natural response and continues to be. There are even documents that the American Baptist Churches have put out in the past few years Usually they're not doctrinal. They're, they're more about social stuff. But um, that's, that's our history, and, and that's where we are now, hopefully rediscovering these things. So a catechism then, um, my, my son goes to a Lutheran school, and they've been teaching him Luther's small catechism, which is spectacular as well. goes through all Ten Commandments. It goes to the Creed. And every question is leading, and the answer is very complete. And so I, I was... We were going through the Ten Commandments a couple weeks ago on Wednesday night, and Calvin couldn't quite. And then on the way home, all of a sudden, it clicked. And so I said, what's the first commandment? And he, and he says, the first commandment is, da, 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 da. I know what I'm just, uh, and then immediately says, what does this mean? It means that. And he goes through this whole explanation, Luther's explanation of the first commandment. Um, and so you have not just memorize these commandments, but also learn what they mean. Uh, and a catechism is going to be taught in a setting where there is free discussion. So uh, I remember um, uh, friends of mine were always going to CCD, which is a Roman Catholic catechism program, uh, right about confirmation age, uh, first communion age. And I would hear that some kids were disruptive in class uh, and that other ones really wanted to learn. Um, but my wife, as a Lutheran, went through a similar situation. And she said that a lot of kids just kind of, okay, that's what we... And a core group, they really wanted to, wait a minute, what about that? Wait a minute, how can that? And it brings about great discussion. And so there's the opportunity to not just memorize a question and its answer. And hopefully that's what we'll do. We'll hash these things out. 
And you know what? The beautiful part is this isn't a creed and it isn't scripture. It's at the end of the day, if you say, I, I can't swallow what that answer is or not completely, it's okay. No one's mad at you. You're still, I mean, most of you probably going to heaven. So um, as, as Baptists who have valued confessions, there's also been a number of catechisms. Benjamin Keach, who's a hero of mine, um, he was one of the signers of the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. He was the pastor of the church that eventually became Spurgeon's Church, which is wild. Um, he wrote one called Keech's Catechism. It's all right. It's, it's very much for kids. It, it's, it simplifies things quite a bit. Uh, and there were a number of attempts, but the one that we're going to look at um, was basically what, we, what you need to know about the Second London Baptist Confession is it's... I don't want to use the word plagiarism, but yeah. Uh, in 1646, there is the Westminster Confession of Faith at the Westminster Assembly. And there's a lot going on historically that leads the Baptists to want to emphasize how much they have in common with their Reformed brethren. And they also all read this document and it kind of get like, Palpitations and they're like, you know, yeah, like how you feel when you see Elvis in the flesh or whatever. Um, and and they say this is really good if we could basically adopt this with just some changes that make it Baptist. We would kind of align ourselves with these Presbyterians, and that would be good for our safety and 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 the whole situation. But also, it would better reflect our views than this. First London, they didn't originally call it the First London Baptist Confession of Faith because they didn't know. Remember that Encyclopedia Brown thing where on the sword it said, given at the first battle of Bull Run? He was like, how would they know there was going to be a second? But they looked at this London Baptist Confession and said, this just doesn't measure up. So they took this Westminster Confession of Faith and they did spend a lot of time with it. Um, but this group of um, elders and these Baptist churches in England did have elders. Uh, and pastors, they put together what we call the 1677 or 1689, depending on what year you choose, Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. It was actually largely forgotten for a while, almost 100 years, rarely brought up until Charles Haddon Spurgeon in the late 19th century. The Prince of Preachers, if there's a superhero amongst Baptists historically, it's, it's Spurgeon. Um, he was chomping on his cigar one day and just being awesome and a bear of a man and decided we really need to discover this stuff again broadly in the church. And so he started printing copies and he said, I'm also going to take the accompanying Westminster Shorter Catechism and I'm going to do to that what they did to the Westminster Confession of Faith, baptistize it. Baptize it? That makes it sound like it was an unbeliever before. And Presbyterians surely are believers. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it Baptist. And so he did that, and he did a spectacular job. Uh, most of it remains untouched. But when you get to places where the articles in the Baptist Confession differ from the Westminster Confession, that's where he tweaked it. And he added some questions to relate to new sections of the, the Confession. And he made the whole thing, in my mind, almost perfectly reflect the heart of that, that confession, this, the Second London Baptist Confession. And here we are, 1787, 1977, yeah, this one's born, uh, 300 and 
50 almost years later, and we're still talking about this document, and um, we're wanting to learn it. And so the, I think the best way to go about learning it, I have a good friend, John Reed, at uh, uh, Clark Lake Community Church. Sunday mornings, he's been preaching through the Second London Baptist Confession. He'll take a text from the answer, and pre- but he's preaching through it. And I thought, man, that sounds fun, but I think a better way to, to do this is some open discussion and to use the catechism, because that's intended as the means for teaching a confession is a catechism. And so we've got a good one. Um, and here's my question. Having heard all that, is anybody out? Because I have to... You're going to use that binder, okay? <laughs> I'll give you new pages, but I have to buy binders uh, and print stuff out. So 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. I'll buy 15... I'll buy 17 binders. Um, and I'll make packets up, and uh, that way... You'll have places to take some notes, uh, and I think it'll be really fun. We did do this about seven or eight years ago on Wednesday night, and it took us, what, a year and a half to two years. It's, it's a slow process because you're saying, let's, let's just study the Christian faith, and you don't want to rush it. Rushing it's no fun. But what's great about it is you wind up not, you know, if you're, if you're studying through a topic, like we just did this class on women in ministry for the whole summer, and you're like, okay, this is getting a little old. We've read these same verses from First Timothy, and this, you know, again and again and again. In this case, you you go from topic to topic to topic because every question is leading you through, you know, into a different area, a different topic, and a different discussion. Um, and it doesn't, it didn't to me. It didn't seem like it got old anyway. You know, one week we're talking about young earth creationism and versus old earth creation, and then the next week we're talking about just war theory. I mean, there's all sorts of different stuff covered because it's about a faith that encapsulates our whole lives. Uh, so any thoughts or any concerns about this as we go in? Or is anyone excited about it? All right. Um, having heard that then, let, let's uh, assume you're all, you're all in. Uh, and we will pick this up. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to record these because I had a few friends uh, want to hear it uh, that can't be here. Uh, some because they live in California. Some because they teach kids upstairs. And so we'll put these on the website. Um, so if you miss a week, you can always, uh, you know, spice up your commute by, by uh, bringing it up on your phone and having a listen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we recognize we have not opened the scriptures today, but we do pray that in, in preparing to uh, study this catechism, which is bursting with scripture, uh, that we have put our hearts in the right place. Lord, we, we pray that we would be uh, of the mind of sola scriptura, uh, to understand that scripture alone is the final authority in faith and practice. But Lord, may we never be arrogant enough to think that we ought to approach nuda scriptura, the scripture naked and with no helps from anyone who came before us and ignoring the cloud of witnesses around us. Lord, may we take advantage of the many, many holy men and women who came before us and have helped to lay out the Christian faith. And we pray that we would benefit greatly from a study of that and, and that, Lord, we would uh, understand things that we didn't before and that we would uh, just come to a greater appreciation of, of what it means to be a Baptist and what it means to be a believer. We pray all this in the name of Jesus who died and rose again. Amen.